0: Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up today, making an entrance. SPFL new boys Bonnie Rig Rose are flying high. We're joined by their manager, Robbie Horn. It's this Partick Thistle season. The Jags are pushing for a return to the top flight. And pick it out Landro. It's been 15 years since James McFadden collected the ball 35 yards out in the Parc de Prance and thought, why not? Yes, hello. I'm your host again this week, Grant Russell, and joining me on the show today is West Ham United's Laura Brannan. Hello. Hello. And with Finn busy on his travels back to Scotland this week, we have Partick Thistle, Women's Head of Media, the award-winning Craig Walker, standing in. Hello. Hello. That's permanently on the CV now. So uh, there's been no football this weekend because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, but has anything been catching your eye over the last few days, Laura?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's obviously not been much happening this weekend in terms of football, um, for obvious reasons. Look, if you want to mourn your well within your right, and we all respect that, there's absolutely no disrespect here to the royal family, to those affected by the Queen's passing, But it feels like this blanket ban on football feels very excessive and unnecessary. When you've got the likes of pubs and cinemas staying open, when you've got rugby matches still going on, how is it disrespectful to have a football match going on at the same time? Uh, What I found interesting as a result of that was this decision to cancel the games it wasn't as a result of this london bridge's fallen operation and it wasn't even a decision for the government it was the government's left up to the league bodies themselves to make the decision um the english premier league or the, the english leagues in general they all went for it uh canceled their games and as a result, it felt very much like what Scottish football can always do. It, it follows suit. Um, going by the the replies, like when you look at Twitter and when you saw the, the club's posting so their games were off at the weekend, there wasn't an appetite for this. There was general kind of like outrage almost. Fans that were really annoyed that they'd spent money, they'd made plans uh, to go to the games and it was called off. It just feels a bit to me like it would have been nice... For the SPFL to kind of have an independent thought here and think of the fans in this case I, I just felt as though it was a, a wee bit unnecessary what happened
0: But the Scottish football show rumbles on uh, Craig, uh, what have you spotted? Anything been going on in the, the wider world of Scottish football?
2: Yeah, I want to talk about Jags for Good So Jags for Good are a group of Parathisial supporters Who have been doing good things for quite a while now uh, They've raised money To get a lot of season tickets for those Less fortunate that couldn't afford them The club uh, matched that as well So there's been a lot of season tickets Handed out to the local community They've been doing food bank donations Raised money as well And earlier this week they launched A scheme to buy energy top-ups Obviously with the cost of living crisis at the moment and energy prices going through the roof. They've been raising money to help those less fortunate in our local community buy energy top-ups for uh, the winter ahead and so far in the week they've raised almost £6,000 which I think is a terrific achievement for them and uh, the Thistle supporters who have been donating both the men's and women's Thistle teams have donated to players off their own back.
0: Yeah, outstanding work from Jags for Good and one for me on a on a similar vein is the announcement uh, towards the end of last week that the Scottish FA and the SPFL have told clubs that they can schedule kick-off times earlier um, once the winter months come in, particularly for the Scottish Cup um, to try and uh, alleviate any costs that clubs will occur um, from, especially from floodlights. But the SPFL have also said that they are open to listening to league games being moved. So... Um, yeah, a bit of a bizarre um, topic to be talking about. Not one you'd expect um, to be potentially looking at premiership clubs, having to look at kicking off at half-twelve. But that is where we are in the world, unfortunately, and it is good the SFA and SPFL have been proactive.
1: If we had a bad night last night, you'd have enough.
0: Horrendous one. out know. well, SPFL new boys, Bonnie Rig Rose, won promotion to League Two in the summer after winning last season's Lowland League and then eventually beating Cowdenbeath in the playoffs. He now sits second in the League Two table with three wins and a draw from their opening six games. And if the games go ahead this coming weekend, they'll be shaping up for a top of the table clash away to Dumbarton. Well, joining us now is Bonnie Rig Rose manager Robbie Horn. Robbie, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, How's life in the SPFL in, in League 2? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's
3: been a decent enough start. Obviously, the first first few games we got off the, off the flyer and um, it's been a little bit more difficult since then. I think a bit of reality's kind of kicked in and what we're actually facing. Um, and there's been a few challenges for us as uh, a club as well. Um, just different things, just being a bit more professional, I think. But... No, it's been great. I've enjoyed it so far. New tests as well. I'm going to, well, not so many new places for me. as Obviously, I was a player, and, um, but for the supporters especially and the chairman and committee, it's been a lot of new places for them to visit, so it's been good. I and mean, We've had a really warm welcome from everybody, so it's been great.
1: What have you made of the standard of the football in League 2 so far and how have the, the squad coped with the, the jump up from the league below?
3: Yeah, obviously, that we were on a crest of a wave that first kind of couple of games, so um, we got, got off to a flyer, as I said. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely, standard, um, is a little bit higher, I would say. It's not massively higher because you've got teams obviously playing against the likes the Rangers and Celtic, and the Celtic B teams in, in the Lowland League, and you've got like East Kilbride and Spartans are all tough games as well. So, um, yeah, but I think for, for me, you have to be even more consistent. You could have a few more off days in, in the Lowland League. Not disrespect to some of the teams you played against but you could get away with having a a few off days and still maybe get a result but it feels like in League 2 that if you do have an off day you know you're going to get turned over and we found that out um, obviously against Albion Novers at home and and then up at Elgin away as well I thought we'd probably both games didn't perform to the levels that we could and, and, and we got turned over. But, you know, it's all a, a bit of a learning curve for us and, you know, the expectation levels of um, everybody is pretty pretty high, I think, just because obviously they've seen what other teams have done when they've been promoted, the likes of Kelty and Cove, um, Edinburgh City as well, um, seen, people have seen what, what, what they've achieved, but we're kind of a we're d- different kind of animal, to be honest. We are very much reliant on, you know, the backing of the football club, um, obviously success, um, breeds that um, in the back in the football club meaning by the supporters in the community so um, we're very reliant on on that and to be fair we've been back brilliantly so far I mean over 500 season ticket holders just incredible for our, a team at our level and you know the first three home games we've had we've had over a thousand people at it as well so um, we've had superb backing um, but it's just trying to manage people's expectations and I think We've kind of been spoiled at Bonnerig for a number of years now where you're you know you're winning most weeks whether it be with the East of Scotland or Lone League we've been winning most weeks and it's kind of dealing with those defeats as well at the same time and how you how you respond to that so um yeah it's it's definitely a it's definitely a big challenge in front of us um but you know we, we look forward to all the games we were playing and the people we were facing and, you know, playing against some really good quality players and playing against the like, management teams as well that have, you know, played football at a higher level uh, themselves. So it's, you know, it's a great challenge for us.
0: Well, obviously the pyramid was brought in for a reason. It was to allow clubs like Bonnewick Rose to, to rise up into the professional ranks. And do you think we're, you know, we're starting to find out the truth a bit now, Robbie, you know, it's getting to a stage where we have Highland and Lowland League teams that are, you know, <laughs> it's been there the whole time. There are clubs that are stronger or bigger, potentially bigger, have more potential than those that were, you know, just carefully complacent in the leagues. And we're starting to see the balance starting to, um, well, we're starting to get that balance now, aren't we? Of of teams getting their rightful place, so to speak.
3: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. For me, the biggest thing is it should be happening quicker, to be honest. Um yeah. And all these teams that left the juniors and came over to the East of Scotland, the West of Scotland leagues, with a you know, with the hope of reaching the Lone League and you know promoting from there. And there's some massive, massive clubs. I mean, you're looking through through these West of Scotland teams, um, through so the and Lett, um um Darvall, Pollock, Kowin, and they're all huge, huge clubs. And they, you know, they've come over and tried to join the program because they want to progress as well. Um, but we're at a bottleneck. I think that's that's the biggest problem, and I think I think something has to be done about it. There's that's the only way you're you're going to solve the solve the problem, and there has to be well, even if it was increasing the numbers of teams within League Two, and um, you know making it that so more teams would get promoted from within the East of Scotland and the West of Scotland and the low end and then in turn from the low end and the Highland up to up to the main league. So that's the way I would like it to happen, but I can't see it changing to be perfectly honest that's that's just for so long now
2: You've been talking about managing the expectations but do you want your players to dream big to dream that they can achieve what Celtic and Cove have achieved and move even further up the SPFL? Yeah as a, I think
3: for our point of view as a club we've got to grow the right way there's no sugar daddy there that's chucking money into it or anything like that so we've got to grow over a period of time and it's as You know, getting supporters continue to be successful on the football pitch, and then you're getting the same amount of backing from the supporters. If you're getting that many season ticket holders, and you're still getting another four or five hundred people on top of that at the gates as well, that's massive revenue for the football club. So that's the way we've got to work. But from the start of the season, you know, the expectations for us and for me was that the boys will, you know, playoffs. Let's hit playoffs, and I think. Probably the majority of the teams within the league will probably be seeing the same sort of thing the playoffs and then if you've got yourself in the position whereby you think you can maybe go and challenge and maybe go and win the league then fair enough. But there's no point in us going into the league and just saying oh yeah we're just here to survive because if you set your expectations as low as that then you're, I think you're asking for trouble. So we've just got to set, our, set the bar high and say look we're aiming for the playoffs here um, and you know just see what it takes us. So we've obviously had a decent enough start. I still don't think or maybe the first game of the season um against Forfar um and a, a spell against Stirling Albion as well. I still think we've not reached the, the levels we can actually get to. I think we've still got a lot to come and a lot of that comes from we've had we've had a few injuries, we've had people missing for different reasons. Again, that's the side of the things I'm talking about about the club being a bit more professional, the players being a bit more professional. You you maybe get away with boys going away on holidays and stuff like that during the season when you're in the low and the East of Scotland. But when you're in League Two Everyone's got to be a wee bit more professional, and these are things we're having to adjust to. But I hope you know, as the season goes on, um, we'll start to you know start to find our feet a wee bit more on that side of things. But I, I think we're I think we're a good side, and I think we can compete with anybody in their day. I think it's a really really tight league as well. I think pff, there's not one team where you look at it and think, oh, they're Miles better than everybody else. Tom Barton for a great start, um, but yeah, I think everybody will beat each other uh, over the course of the season. I think.
1: I love that positivity. I absolutely love it. I mean, look, Robbie, you managed the club a few years back as well, so this is your second spell there. Um, How have you seen the club grown since then, Um, since moving up to the Lowland League, since obviously moving up to League Two? Have you seen it reflected around the town as well, just that kind of growth of supporters?
3: No, absolutely. The community club has is, is grown uh, um, as well over that period of time and success. And it's brilliant to see them coming along to our games and seeing the kids um you know coming to watch the watch the games and they're you know they're actually, you know, instead of going to Tin Castle or Easter Road on the Saturday, they're coming to New Dundas Park, which is brilliant. And their favourite players are Mr. Nagaki, who's the local high school teacher as well. So which is great. And you know, and the players have been very receptive to that as well and being involved with the community and they're all very approachable um, to, to, to the community as well. So it's been it's been a great journey that we've had over the last few years, especially East of Scotland and to Lowe, and then now into into League Two. So um that's no, it's 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 great and just hopefully it can, can continue from there.
0: I know you said, Robbie, that you know, every team will probably beat every team this season and maybe your team haven't quite um hit the level completely that you 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 know they can, but Look, it's Dunbarton next. Um, if all goes all goes ahead, um, <laughs> you know, a big club. What sort of challenge will that be? Nah,
3: Stevie Farrell's obviously uh, managed in the, in the lease for a period of time. He's obviously been at uh, Stranraer. and he was at Airdrie before that as well. And I actually faced him when I was a manager and a short spell at Berwick, and He was manager at at that point in time as well. So we've um, started the season great. Um, they've got some really experienced uh, players throughout their team when you look at it as well, guys that have played um, you know, lower leagues for a period of time um, even looking at the guys that are playing up front, the likes of Declan Byrne and Ali Love have always kicked about in lower leagues and then you look at the back, the likes of Carswell and Buchanan as well so it's a really a really tough test going through there but um, we've actually had a decent record at the Rock in <laughs> the seasons we've played obviously we beat Dumbarton in the Scottish Cup replay, and we went on to face him. So we won that that night. And then there's an thing last season we played Rangers uh, at the Rock as well. Rangers B, um, and we beat them. So um, yeah, the Rock's been a, a fairly kind place to us, and hopefully you know if the game's on Saturday, we can be kind to us on Saturday again.
2: you think I'm going to answer a stupid question like
0: that? Now, going into the season, most were tipping Dundee or Inverness to win promotion to the Premiership. But <laughs> let's face it, the Championship is never predictable. So step forward, Ayr United and Partick Thistle, who currently sit above those sides at the top of the table. Now, we looked at Ayr a couple of weeks ago and we spoke to their general manager, Graham Mathie. But uh, Laura Thistle are also proving a tough nut to crack as well, aren't they?
1: Yeah, this is uh, it's going well for Thistle so far this season. If you just want to look at the stats, I mean, the table alone says good things for them. They've won four of their six games so far, drawn one and lost one. They've scored 14 goals so far, which is the most in the Championship out of all the clubs. And a great League Cup run as well, so far as well. Obviously got out of the group stages, beat our both in the knockout, the first knockout round. And they've now been scheduled against Aberdeen for the quarterfinals tie. Um, so, I mean, second in the league, still in the League Cup. It feels like it's all going really well for them just now.
0: It's not an easy life being a Thistle fan, is it, Craig? Uh, You help out with the club's media output, so you're closer to the action than most. Why would you say it's clicking so well this season?
2: Uh, Yeah, as you said, it's not easy uh, being a Thistle fan, but at the moment it's it's very enjoyable. I think just it's been a slow and steady improvement as the seasons have went on since Ian McCall's come in. Obviously we were in the Premier League Fell out of it uh, Gary Caldwell came in and Took over from Alan Archibald And things didn't really go to plan under, under him as manager And But Ian McCall's come back in To what he calls his club And he's been building since then Obviously we had the the relegation But since winning League One it's It's been a build up Last season we got into the playoffs Probably didn't quite have enough To uh, see us go up But we've certainly started this season
0: very well yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Thistle out of the top league since 2018 and they lost that playoff final uh, over two legs to Livingston. And then I like how you say relegated. What a diplomatic word. Relegated is normally associated with sporting context. But anyway, I digress. Uh, moved into League One when COVID hit. Um, you know, just... When you have those back to back shifts down 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 the league pyramid, just how dark a time was it at, at forhill, considering God, it wasn't too long ago, I can remember the scenes of celebrating the top six finish
2: yeah we, we finished top six and it was uh, the season after we ended up uh, being relegated in the playoffs, so it was a quick quick turnaround from those highs to the lows of being relegated to the championship we might we were managed to stay up one the year after that and the championship and then down to League One in that COVID-hit season. And as you said, there wasn't. We were in that position, but we're well within our capability of getting out of it, and we had kind of no choice to go down to League One. But I think you look at League One now. The teams that are in it, look at Falkirk. They've been, they were in it before we got in there, and they're still there and struggling again this season. So it just shows you how important it really was to win that league first time asking. And at points that it didn't look like it was going to happen, but it just it shows how impo- really really important it was to get that 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 league victory and move up to the championship and go
1: from strength to strength from there. It just feels like there's like it's been really unfair on Thistle recently, and I guess for context for those that don't really realise it's um, Thistle were obviously the ones that were bottom of the championship when COVID hit um, and the league was ended, um, so. It was like, by default, you guys were relegated into the, the division below. I mean, that was obviously very unfair at the time. We all kind of... Everyone kind of kicked up about hearts and shooting and stuff like that. It all happened to them as well. It feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm misconstruing this because I'm from the outside, um, and you're obviously inside all this, Craig, but it looks like this will have just gone go their, around their business quite quietly since then. But at the same time, I still feel like... Am I right in saying there's still a wee bit of hurt there? Um... And it would kind of if you guys were to get promoted this season it would be an even bigger sense of achievement
2: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right in the season we won League One I, n- I know for a fact that a lot of the players used that heart of being demoted, maybe is the correct word uh, to the league below as, as a driving force to win that league uh, I know a lot of them were hurting a lot of them had to take wage cuts and it's not as if they're all earning big bucks, they've all got families to feed and Especially during COVID times and different things, it was all very tough for them as well. But I think a lot of them used it as a, as that kind of just inside that kind of driving force to get get them up the league. And a lot of them are still here. We've got a lot of the same the same players. Ian McCall's kind of there's not been a big squad turnaround. Ian McCall's just quietly building the squad. A few players leave. He brings in some improvements, and the squad's just gradually increasing as the as the seasons have went on and. I think we've got a good chance this season of, hopefully, getting to the Premier League again.
1: What is that squad like? Because I remember you saying to me before, it's, just, it's like such a settled side now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you, you've obviously got the core who have been there for a couple of years now. You've got Ross Docker to the captain in midfield, Brian Graham up front. Uh, Stuart Banigan is now about to enter his testimonial year. So you've got a lot of players that are there have been there quite a while now and where kind of e. brought in a lot of younger players this season, uh, like Sahari Millan, left back, absolute tremendous talent. Uh, how he's not playing in the Premier League, I've no idea. He could easily be playing at a higher level, so quite the coup to get him in. But the, the, the squad this year feels a lot more balanced than possibly last year. Uh, last year, you were one sack. Uh, Zach Rudden left for Dundee you were relying on Brian Graham for all the goals and he was carrying a bit of an injury and if he's he's not scoring then we struggle to kind of score Uh, Scott Tiffany was the main creator when he was injured we struggled to create but this year you've got a lot more options the squad feels a lot more balanced last year you had Tiffany on the left but teams just doubled up on him we didn't have anyone on the right we brought in Jake Hasty to try and do that he didn't really do much uh, brought in Kyle McAllister after that he was injured he didn't do much so we didn't have anyone on that right hand side that was they had to watch for whereas this season you've brought, brought in Stevie Lawless has been a tremendous sign obviously he was there last time he won this league so he knows how to do it brought in Aaron Muirhead again he was there last time he won this league so we brought in experience brought in youngsters and the squad just feels a lot more balanced we've got obviously Brian Graham still your main striker but Anton Dowd scored against Arbroath last week. You've got So you've got Danny Millen as well, who's brought in. So you've got options there, even off the bench. And if someone's injured or someone's not doing it, then you've got a lot more options this year than we have in many years.
0: Picture the scene then, Craig. So it's August 2023. We're at Fur Hill, opening day of the season, in the Premiership, ready to unfurl the Championship flag. Is Neil Doncaster welcome? Is he at that party in your mind?
2: Uh, well he, uh, it was quite fun <laughs> last uh, he was obviously he was, he was, when we uh, unfilled league one flag uh, just two years ago he was he was on the pitch and the reception was interesting to say the least he
0: yes
1: football by the hell
0: well, no games of the weekend past, of course, but some European action definitely to look forward to in midweek. Um, it all starts with Shakhtar Donetsk against Celtic on Wednesday evening now uh, in Warsaw because Rangers, who were due to play on Tuesday, have now been put back to Wednesday at 8 o'clock and in Hearts are on Thursday at 8 o'clock in Riga in the Conference League. But uh, Laura, uh, talk through what's happened with Rangers' uh, Napoli game and uh, <laughs> what went wrong over in Amsterdam the week before.
1: Yeah, so just to fill you in what's happened in the latest news line here, Rangers were due to host Napoli on Tuesday night. Uh, that has been changed because of the order of procession from how the, the Queen's body essentially is getting moved from Scotland down to England, um, and the amount of police that are...
0: Sorry, I just never thought we'd be doing a podcast, and we oh, the reason the game's been postponed is because they're moving a body... Um, you know, but we are where we are in the world, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I tried to say it in the nicest possible way, but it's just sort of fact, wasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, the um, the game was originally scheduled for Tuesday, it's now been moved to the Wednesday, and the reason for that is because of police presence. Um, I, th- I think it's basically all the police are getting roped into doing this procession, um, and coming down to London for all of this, so they're short staffed essentially, um, and they've wanted to. Uh, Obviously the game has to go ahead Because the the schedule with the European games In comparison to the World Cup There really is no wriggle room here Um, they, They have to play this game There was talk of switching the fixture around But they've went ahead with it Rangers are at home What has changed though Is no Napoli fans can travel to the game, um, and I, I, the reason, obviously, for that is because they don't have as, as many police officers to work the game, so they don't want to have to deploy as many on the away end. It just makes it an overall easier task to manage. Um, but on the flip side, um, as a result of no away fans on Wednesday, it means that Rangers fans have been told they're not allowed to travel to Nap to Naples for the return fixture at the end of October. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but to me, I think that's an absolute shambles. There's fans that have spent hard-earned money to go to an away fixture, which is going to be a tasty away fixture, let's face it. I mean, the the a game against Napoli was never going to be quite a quiet affair. Um, and to do it in the Champions League, that would have been a really class trip. And to have that taken away, I don't really think it's fair in any sense. It feels like we're going back to COVID times here, just being like, oh no, no fans, no fans allowed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? it- Oh, Kat wants to uh, say something about that. Sorry. Um, yeah, look, it's it's a difficult situation, especially when you're making quick decisions under a lot of time pressure. And I know Dublin was, was also mentioned as a potential venue, which would have been by far and above the worst possible situation. Um, you have Rangers fans who lose out from the game being moved to Tuesday to Wednesday, but Rangers have said they'll refund. <laughs> and look, when it comes to away fans, I you know I assume that this is an agreement between Napoli and Rangers. Um, and well, it's far from ideal. Maybe, maybe the discussion will come up again um, once this game's out of the way, and potentially taking fans over to Italy. But I know I do have sympathy. It's it's it's, it's a rubbish situation, but. You know, when you're in the middle of it all and you've got to make quick decisions, um, it's not the worst compromise in the world. You know, at least the game is going ahead.
1: No, I think it's a terrible compromise. Um. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> no, I, I, I just think it's completely unacceptable. Football without fans is nothing. And to have no way fans, like as much as, OK, you can argue, oh, they wouldn't have much of an impact. Um, it's just a small corner of the ground. It's just not fair. Um, and even just a human element, it's not fair on fans who have spent money on travelling. They're not going to get their flights refunded, um, especially when you go to a hotel in Italy and say, I can't fulfil this um, because the Queen died. They're going to go, all. Well, that's that's nothing to do with us. It's not our problem. Um I just think it's fair.
0: <laughs> nah, no, 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 you're right. I I get I get that. You're absolutely spot on. It's you know, it's it's a catch twenty two. Football authorities try to do and clubs try to do the best they can, but there's collateral damage and it's you know it's rubbish and I hope that every everyone who's spent money um is able to get it back. But um you know, there's there's another game on Wednesday night and not without its own quirk as well. Um Celtic heading off to Warsaw to take on Shatter Donetsk. Um, you know, it's a real interesting one. If we look at Celtic, in you know against Real Madrid, that first forty-five minutes was just you know I w- I was sitting co- trying to comprehend. You, I just couldn't see anything but a Celtic win at that point. But it was just the chances they weren't taking. Callum McGregor hitting the post, even the start of the of the of the second half as well. Maeda um, kind of fluffing his lines right in front of goal. And just absolutely blew them away. It was an incredible performance. It was starting to put itself, you know, at the levels of it could have been one of the greatest Scottish football performances in Europe of all time. And I don't know what the approach was necessarily, second half, if it was come out, try and preserve energy a little bit. Um, and then try and hit them again, and I don't know if the confidence went as well when you know Celtic were still pressing so high, and it's just that little movement at the first goal where Real Madrid pop five or six passes together, beat the press, break the line, and suddenly they're in behind, and it's it felt like game over almost immediately at that point. Um, but on Shakhtar, look, you know, a team that are, who got off to an absolute flyer. Um, in this competition, and and are, are, are had a great start to the league season as well. And look, are, are well accustomed to not playing in Donetsk uh, for starters. Um, and so you know, being nomadic is no necessarily no problem to them. Obviously, it's their the first Champions League group stage match. Um, playing in Warsaw, but look the the result against Leipzig last week, and look, Leipzig are absolute. Um. Try to find a non-offensive word um, at the moment um, although it did uh, absolutely hammer Dortmund at the weekend in Marco Rotz's first game so that's another one to look out for further down the line but yeah I don't know how to call this game I really don't know how to call it the Celtic aren't amazing shakes on the road Shakhtar have started the season really well. You've got that little niggling Marian Shved um, elephant in the room of a former player who didn't hit the heights at all coming up against his former club. Three goals in his last two games, including two against Leipzig. I just can't. We could honestly go from the sublime against Real Madrid, those first 45 minutes, to just just one of those horrible away performances um that that we've seen over the years really really tough to a uh, tough one to call and of course on thursday then uh hearts uh <laughs> over in latvia to take on rfs look it wasn't a great start at all was it Craig um against uh, Baha here um, absolutely blown away uh, last thursday night and look it's a <laughs> it's a really tricky one again heading over to latvia on a thursday night
2: yeah, as you said, they're absolutely blown away last Last Thursday, defeated 4-0 and Hearts are on a run of form just now that uh, Robbie Nielsen won't be happy with at all, they've not scored in five of their last six games lost to Kamarnock in the Cup, lost to Livingston in the league uh, and they're starting to really miss I think Liam Boyce, I think he's an absolute massive miss for them uh, I spoke earlier on when we were talking about Thistle, about Zach Rudden leaving and how much we missed him and sometimes these you just need that other striker to make obviously Lawrence Shanklin play well so defeated 4-0 and it's a game they probably at the start of it looked just in Latvia this coming Thursday a game they looked at and possibly thought they could go there and win but uh, suddenly the pressure's on, they're on a horrible run of form and uh, another heavy defeat and it could be pressure on Robbie Nielsen
0: yeah, and RFS, of course, going over to Florence last week and drawing one all as well. And suddenly you're looking at that, going, "Oh bloody hell, what are we, what are we in for here?" Yeah, real interesting week um, of fixtures for for the Scottish teams in Europe again.
4: McFadden drags it down now. Long way out. Oh, what, a what, a what a goal! What a goal by McFadden! He's a genius again for Scotland. They've been suckered in the party, brands! James McFadden from 40 yards into the river, the net. Picking outland through France, still! Scotland won.
0: Yes, yeah, the 12th of September, 2007. What a night that was. And it might not feel like it, but it's been 15 whole years since James McFadden's wonder strike sank World Cup finalists France on their own patch. On hindsight, of course, it didn't mean anything because we fell just short of second place in the Euro 2008 qualifiers. It's something we've kept in our hearts ever since and it certainly didn't take away from how big an achievement it was on the night. And I'm glad to say we're joined now by the Second most legendary man that night, uh, after James McFadden, was the man behind the commentary which is followed it forever, Peter Martin. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, people, when I think of James McFadden's goal, I think firstly, the goal, secondly, that commentary. And I'm not alone in that, so how does it feel that it was kind of etched into history like that?
4: Well, it's nice of you to say so. I feel old because it's 15 years, um, but nevertheless, it was a... Uh it was a commentary that I feel very proud of. The other thing about it, which was funny, I interviewed Fadi right after the game. And uh, I said to him, did you enjoy that goal? And he says, I've spoken to my family at home, probably not as much as you enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, what's your, what are your memories from that night? Is it? Can you actually remember delivering the line or is it one of these ones that you have to watch the kind of, or listen to the recordings back to to remember it?
4: Well, you'll know better than anybody, in Laura as well. In the in the in the job you work in, you've you've always got to prepare. And I was meticulous because, uh, luckily enough, many many years before, it, I'd ran into John Motson, and he gave me a, a a list of how he prepared, and each player, and each game, and and you know the history behind the two teams that were playing. So I'd always done the um the preparation. So ahead of the game, I was totally and utterly clued up on what was at stake, every player that was playing for France and for Scotland. And the other aspect of it was the thing that was sticking in my head was, I think Raymond Dominesh was very dismissive of Scotland, but the one thing that sticks in my head is right at the end, after we'd mugged them at Hamden by one goal to nil, when Gary Caldwell scored, The interview after was with Thierry Henry, who looked into the camera and he just looked straight into the camera and he said, we'll see you in Paris. (laughs) He said that, I thought rather ominously, like everybody else, you know, we are going to get absolutely hammered because a couple of years before it, they'd won the world cup. They were phenomenal. They had Macaulay, Thierry Henry. They were, I mean, it was just rippling with superstars. And I thought, we are going to get absolutely battered. And uh, I can remember myself and Mark Greedy uh, and Andy Walker heading out there and we thought to ourselves, well, I wonder if it's going to be busy with the Tartan army. And as you know, Grant, they must have bought every French ticket from every area. <laughs> the place was bouncing with Scotland fans. and And then, of course, as you're about to talk about, my God, 90 minutes like I've never witnessed before in my life.
1: I mean, like, out of the three of us here, we've, we've all done commentary in some aspects of our careers up to date. Um, some have enjoyed it more than others. I absolutely hate doing it. Um, but those who have never tried it themselves, what is it like in that moment? You've got the headset on. You've got to say exactly what you're seeing. How do you keep your emotions in check? Like, do you just go full pelt from the heart? Or do you still think to yourself, no, I've got to get the facts in, got to get the stats in, got to be professional here?
4: Well, I think anybody will tell you that you've always got to be professional, but you've always got to, if you're in radio, you have to paint a picture that people can't see. So you've got to try and get so many different areas in, that people will appreciate it. For example, a woman phoned in when I was working on radio and she said, the reason why I like Peter Martin commentating is I know exactly where the ball is in the pitch. He paints that picture. So I was aware of the fact that people want to know what's going on in the pitch. The second part of it is you've got to get the excitement. The other part of it is, I mean, some of my mates phoned me up because they all went to school with me and they were raging when I did the Helicopters Changing Direction commentary because they were all Celtic fans and I was doing this commentary for Rangers. You know, well, I wasn't doing it for Rangers. It was just something that Rangers absolutely loved at the end of winning a title on the last day of the season. And then other people like a Henrik Larsson commentary or a John Hartson commentary from Liverpool. But the great thing, Laura, is if you're commentating for Scotland... You can put in all your heart and soul into it. That's what makes it even more special. But remember, we're going into a game where we're hoping that we could basically top the group at this point. So, But we're playing a team that, you know, they were odds-on favourite to absolutely... Here's a Billy Connolly line. They were odds-on favourite to us. <laughs> <laughs> do you
1: Do you remember the lines? Do you remember the commentary? I remember
4: the commentary because I played five a sides a lot. That if you at five a sides and eleven a sides with your mates, if you ever scored a great goal, you used to shout to the guy who was in goal, pick it out, because it was it was meant as a great noise up. It was something that you could annoy your mates with if he'd scored a fantastic goal, wee bit of skill, bang hits the back of the net. And I used to shout, pick that out. And the funny thing was, it was in my head. It was such an outrageous goal. in the commentary I shout pick it out Landrow, France nil, Scotland (laughs) 1 and it was almost an act of it was Mel Gibson type, it was an act of defiance (laughs) to shout to them, by the way we'll see you in Paris, we've absolutely mugged you again you know so that was what was going through my head with the pick it out Landrow
0: It was a GBX tune as well wasn't it and then then, uh, you also went to New York to pick up an award for it as well
4: yeah, well, George, George and uh, his wife—they, you know—they're great for picking out songs that they thought they could put in a wee bit of uh, commentary. So it was that type of thing we we're going into it. And then at the end of it, when you when you get you finish your night, we would go for a drink and everybody everybody was celebrating. But when you go home, the next thing that happened to me, which was crazy, and you touched on it, Laura. People are saying, "By the way, are you aware of something?" And I'm thinking, "What is it?" And he went everybody's talking about your commentary. And I'm like, what? And, and it, they said, the whole of the country has gone bananas for your commentary. They're downloading it. Soccer AM, Sky Sports. The next thing is, somebody said to us, we've we'll we'll put it in for the New York Radio Awards. Um, and then from there, it just went crazy. You know, you're winning awards here. And then the next minute they say to you, by the way, you've won a gold medal, um, equivalent of the Radio Oscars, flying to New York and you'll be presented with a gold medal for your commentary. And there I was on the top of this building, looking out over New York, and they handed over the gold medal, and me and my wife are over the gold medal, and then they played the commentary. Now, if you're playing my commentary <laughs> to every nationality from across the world, these guys are all looking at me as if I'm a complete head case. But I said, I said to them, uh, you know, believe me, when a nation of 5 million beats a nation of 55 million, you go crazy and the best compliment i've ever had was a woman said to me by the way you know that you had a hand in helping me make my family and i said what and she said yeah she says your commentary that night i got pregnant with the first kid
0: did they have it on loop during it or what you know no, I just to myself, she's getting excited i've got excited it's taken everybody to another level any idea
1: what they called that kid Please tell me it was faddy. Please say it was faddy. <laughs> if
4: it's James or Peter, I don't mind. Probably you know. <laughs> Even if it's a girl.
0: <laughs> Craig, where, where were you that fateful night on the 12th of September 2007? I
2: was in the Scotland End.
0: Hey, <laughs> what's your memories of that? <laughs> of when that goal went in, how many rows did you end up down?
2: I uh, ended up, three rows in front, and the guy behind me poured his pint over my head. So that, <laughs> uh, that, that was my memory, it was just everybody obviously going ballistic. The guy behind me spilled his pint all over me, ended up in my eye, and for the next ten minutes I was trying to get beer out of my eye to try and see what was going on again. So that was my memory of that goal. Well,
0: most people were covered in their eyes after that, and you were, you were trying to restore your sight. That's a good story. Uh, Laura, where were you?
1: God, I'm so jealous that you were there. So, like, this was just before I started travelling with the Tartan army. Um, I At this point Was desperate to go to an away game I had no friends That wanted to travel So had no one to go with um, And I was I went to the pub With my mum and dad It's probably The best sort of um, Experience I have Of like watching Football in pubs Is when it's so full You're sitting on the floor And all, all I remember And it sounds like Something out of like, Maybe a cartoon or something But the whole table Just went up in the air And all the pints Went flying with it I'll never forget that moment And I, I guess that Kind of did Push me on even more To want to travel To games after that and, and kind of make the friends that I've since done and, and go all around the world. But, like, Craig, were you in the march walking to the ground as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we spent the day underneath the Eiffel Tower and everyone was saying there was going to be a march to the stadium. And I think even, obviously, you see the pictures now that it looks absolutely amazing. When you were in it, you didn't realise how big it was. You were obviously walking to the stadium. You knew it was really busy, but you had no idea how far it stretched forward or how far it stretched back. So you were just walking to the stadium and there was loads of people there and you thought, oh, this is quite good. And then you saw the photo of what you'd been involved in, like just coming through and uh, obviously unbelievable. Uh, but it was a good good day as well. Everyone was obviously underneath Eiffel Tower and it was sunny and you had your drinks and it was just a really good day kind of leading up to the game as well. Uh,
0: it's It's interesting because Try and cash your mind back to to that time, and obviously we would had the Hamden game before it, but which was another momentous occasion in itself, um, you know, and lives long in the memory. But you no, know, Laura, I'll put it to you. You I mean just just how big was it to beat France? Do you feel not just once, but but twice in that campaign, irrespective of what happened next?
1: Yeah, like see when you look back on the Euro two thousand eight campaign for someone of of my age, I'm mid thirties, and before. The Serbia game when we qualified for Euro 2020, that was the biggest thing that we had to kind of live off. Um, I got into football watching the World Cup ninety. 98. I didn't see the, the qualifying campaign for that, so I never experienced the glory days of actually clinching qualification. So to come as close as we did that year, beating France twice, holding Italy, the world champions... Um, for all it was worth we came so close against them twice okay maybe not as much the away game but the home game well let's let's not talk about the home game but um, it felt like that campaign was in terms of atmosphere at Hamden and the atmosphere around the country everyone was just loving following the national team at that time it felt united um i remember in the build-up to the italy game i remember clyde one broadcasting live from george square and walking down after uni um and the pouring rain but everyone was gathered and it was this was like two or three days before the actual game itself it just felt like there was such a huge momentum in that entire campaign to beat france i think the france home game was the third game of the campaign the third or fourth and that was huge in itself um but we were also quite, not surprised, but we knew we could hold our own at home and pull off these big results. So as much as that was great, that was fun, that put us on a good kind of path to to kind of the top end of the table. It was the away game that really made us feel like Wow, we can actually do this here. And I remember we came home, and I think it was at the Ukraine game. It was not long after that we we were two 0 up after inside ten minutes, and it just felt like everyone was so convinced this is our time. We're we're actually going to do this, and it's a I feel as though it's still of an injustice we didn't do it when we had boys like James McFadden who never got to represent us at a tournament. It just feels so unfair when you look back for what he did for us and. How he was a Scotland hero, um, like you can you can criticise us for living off a victory, um, a couple of victories that in the end meant nothing. But I think for a Scotland fan, we were just grateful to have something big to kind of live off at that point and, and enjoy. Yeah, and is
0: is Craig off the back of that, and I certainly feel this, <laughs> especially during those lean times. All right, not getting to the Euros. I remember in the Italy game of ticker was so crushing and such an anticlimax, but. You know, nights like the one in Paris, nights like the one at Hampden as well, but obviously we're, we're talking about Fatty's goal. Those are the types of things we dine out on, isn't it? I mean, look, here we are talking 15 years since Fatty goal. I mean, has anyone marked in their calendar uh, 22 uh, years since we qualified, or tw- it would have been 23 years since we qualified for World Cup 98? That's not in anyone's calendar. So it, it's almost this is kind of part and parcel of being a Scotland fan, isn't it? Like having these little landmarks that aren't qualifying for major tournaments that give us something to talk about forever.
2: Yeah, I think it's part and of being a football fan. I think these big moments, the moments that you experience yourself with other people supporting your team, these are the moments that mean a lot, especially supporting Scotland. It's not as if these results come along every week and you just get used to it and so what. It's, you've got to enjoy them and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And as Laura was saying, it was a qualifying campaign that united everybody. It was my first campaign of going regularly. So it's memories that me and my pals going to the games and these results, that's the ones you remember. And you've got to enjoy them. You've got to celebrate them, even all these years later.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're looking even at, like, for Scotland fans who don't have a lot to shout about, we do still enjoy big moments. and, And, yeah, as I'm saying, you can joke about them and you can laugh at us for it. But even things like Lee Griffith's free kicks against England as much as what happened after that absolutely crushed us and we're never going to be celebrating the draw and the one point we got from it but those moments alone that's what it comes down to is those moments that they were something that we'll never forget the feeling of it yeah 15 years on we're still talking about something because it's more than just a goal that hit the back of the net isn't it
0: well, that's all from us. Thanks again for listening. Thank you to Laura and to Craig. And thanks to Robbie Horn, the Bonnie Red Rose manager, and Peter Martin for regaling us of tales of that famous night in Paris 15 years ago. We'll be back next Tuesday. Hopefully, the football will be too. Bye.